gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Gather Round the Lamp by underagaslitlamp.com. As always, I'm Regan, you can find me on Twitter at FindFoy, and I'm joined by Mark. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Mark Jerobi here. You can find me on Twitter at VillamarkPGH. We're going to get into the Spurs uh, contest. We're going to get into a lot of other stuff that's going on. But first and foremost, we just want to let all our listeners know right now we have a little 10% off uh, link for anything on the Villa Store website. That is UAGL10. That goes for anything on the store. It all gets you 10% off. Actually, right, you know, to actually, like, talk about it and be open and honest with you guys. The third shirt's 50% off right now, the green one. I know it's split opinion a little bit, but you can get it for 50% off and you can use this UAGL10 to also knock off an additional 10%. Just putting it out there for you guys in case you're interested or anything like that. We try to take care of our listeners as much as possible. And uh, yeah, Regan, I guess now we got to get into the uh, the Spurs game and talk about all the, all the happenings, what happened yesterday. Absolutely. But before that, it's crazy to think that this is our 40th episode. You know, it, it means a lot that so many people have, have listened to us and I guess put up with our ramblings um and a lot of people have been quite kind uh to share their thoughts on the podcast so this is just a, a thanks to those who have uh have listened and hel- helped spread the word about the podcast since it was it was started really yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, uh, other than like, you know, the, you know, any, any type of criticism is good criticism when you do something like this. I, I'm absolutely amazed at some of the reception I've got. I mean, I've, you know, when I went to Minnesota last year, when Villa came over to play, there was people that were able to identify me just by my voice alone, which is, was absolutely crazy. But uh, yeah, the, the support's been immense. Uh, you know, I just want to take a personal, you know, thank you to everybody out there that listens and shares our stuff, gets the word out, word of mouth, all that kind of stuff. You guys are immensely appreciated and, and any, any type of criticism, good or bad we always always appreciate of course um but yeah through through gritted teeth we've got to talk about the tottenham hotspur game and you know aston villa played predominantly well for for very large portions of the game but it was an individual error that doomed villa to get another wasted opportunity to pick up points uh the game you know started relatively open and it was Aston Villa who took the lead within the first 10 minutes as Anwar Al-Ghazi took Pepe Reina's ball down well before turning and rushing into the opposition's final third. And he played a ball into the central position, which uh, Toby Alderweireld attempted to clear, but the Belgian actually knocked the ball into his own net past Hugo Lloris. Um, you know, I think after the game, Alderweireld kind of said that, you know, he'd been travelling a lot. He'd just had the uh, the birth of his son, um, so he said he was feeling a bit rusty during the game, and that's obviously his excuse for the own goal. But I think regardless of whether Alderweireld had poked it into his own net or not, I think Samata was gonna net even even if you know Alderweireld didn't get there first. 
No, I, th- I think so. I think, you know, Samada was in a, in a great position for it. I think it, it, it was probably a little bit of rustiness on Toby's part. He couldn't get back, and it almost kind of made it, it – it looked a lot worse than it actually was. It, the, the play happens actually, like, really, really fast. And I, you see what he's trying to do. He's trying to put it out, you know, for, for a corner, trying to, like, loop it up and over. It just didn't work out. But I think Samada was in a great, you know, a great position. I think he was all game. I, I, I really think that Samada played really well. I mean, it's unfortunate for all the world and everything, but at the same point in time, it was – it was to me. It was nice to see a little bit of luck go the Villa's way, and, and it hasn't happened a lot this season. It happened in this instance. I was super, super happy about it. But yeah, even though it was an own goal, I was still at the pub singing the Samuel goal, you know, song regardless. <laughs> yeah, and Douglas Louise could have and probably really should have doubled the lead for for Villa in the nineteenth minute. You know, Jack Grealish worked the wall, the ball well, really well into the box uh, from the left hand side. And four or five Spurs defenders kind of rushed towards him, and he managed to poke the ball to Louise in a central position again. Um, and Louise kind of rushes to take his shot. He's kind of off balance as he's doing so, and uh, he just fires towards goal, and the ball's blocked on the line by Ben Davies's knee. You know what could have been a eh? Villa had looked commanding up to this point, and Spurs looked very confused about the way that, that Villa were kind of taking a hold of the game. Do you think that the Louise opportunity is one that will be remembered as a massive weighted opportunity or is it something to kind of look at and then forget? I I think if you look at it and kind of, you know, if you put a microscope on it, it looks like a really, really bad, you know, opportunity that that didn't come off for Villa. I think Louise knows he has to do a little bit better there. Um, I'm more impressed with Jack Grealish on on this pattern of play. I mean, he just drug half a team basically with him and everyone's looking at him. You know, it's, it's, Almost one of those things we all know it. We've all seen it being Villa supporters when Jack has the ball. Sometimes people just don't know what to do. They don't know how to get the ball off him. They don't know if they should go in with a hard tackle, a firm one. They know that he's the most fouled player in the entire Premier League. So I think it's really, really hard for the opposition to get a handle on Jack. But you would like to see Luis do a little bit better there. But for all for all purposes, he had a really good game against Spurs. So I mean, yeah, it is is a waste of opportunity. I didn't like a lot of people I saw on social media kind of slagging him off and being like, you know, if we if Villa go down by one point, it's going to be Luis's fault. I think that's a little too much what did what did you feel about this I think like as I said I think he needed to take his time a bit more I think he had the opportunity to take a little bit more time um and I don't I don't, don't really remember who was behind him I think it might have been Gilbert but he could have quite easily left left the ball for Gilbert to try and get a, a, a better attempt on goal um but I think you know realistically Luis wanted the goal he attempted the goal, and you've you've got to give kudos to Ben Davies. You know he got his body on the line, and you know we've seen Tyrone Mings doing it all season for us. So you know you can't place the blame too much on Louise. You've you've got to give Davies the kind of kudos he deserves. Yeah, it was a great defensive play. I mean, I just think all around it was just really unfortunate for Villa to to not be able to find a goal in this passage of the play. Again, you know, Grealish worked his magic. He had a little something to prove out there. Uh, we'll get onto that in a little while. But yeah, it, it would have been massive to go up 2-0. Spurs just looked like they didn't know really what to do up around this time. They didn't think that Villa was going to come out with, I guess, the intensity that they said they were going to. Yeah, you know, Villa, Villa had the upper hand for, for large swathes of the game, you know. Uh, and it showed as more attempts came firing down into the Spurs box. Um, we had another chance just four minutes after the Louise chance as Grealish found himself onside and able to play a ball into a central position for Samata. Um, but Eric Dyer managed to get there before the Tanzanian and slice it out for a corner. And, you know, it, It's not a criticism of Jack, but do you think that he should have probably fired a shot um, on this occasion? You know, He had a couple of shots 
in the game that had you know just been sliced wide or just curled around the post. But we've seen the abilities there from Jack this season in terms of getting himself into goal scoring positions and actually burying them. So do do you think perhaps he he needed to be a little bit more selfish because that's something that was quite apparent from this game he was he was less selfish and more of a I guess team player in front of goal. Right, and it's always going to be walking on the razor's edge with that kind of stuff cuz at one point in time you don't want to seem like you're too greedy of a player and on the other, you know, side of the coin we all know that Jack Grealish loves to play other people in and he does know that it's a team game. He identifies that. It's kind of what his playing style is meant to do. I personally think in this occasion he should have had a shot. I know it was a weird angle. He might have had to hit you know, on his off foot, but we've seen that he can score that way. Um, I, I Even though, like you said, other balls flashed across net or it just didn't curl the right way for him or up and over, uh, I think on this occasion he, he could have had a shot there. But I do understand why he would pass. I think it's kind of like one of those split-second decision kind of things. But you're right. I did identify that Grealish was, he was seeming more like he wanted to be, I guess, a little bit more as like a team player and, and not to the fact like mentality or anything like that, but he just wanted to kind of spread the love around a little bit more. Um, but yeah, in this instance, I'll, I, I'll never say that Jack shouldn't shoot because we've seen him score from so many different areas and so many different situations. Obviously, I don't know what's going through players' minds uh, during a game and I don't think anyone actually ever will, but do you think that that Grealish was perhaps thinking about his statistics at all? You know, he's he's the one of the the highest uh, chance creators in the league alongside Kevin De Bruyne. Um, you know, he's got the most assists in the Villa team. Uh, I think he's the highest assisting English midfielder. So, do you think he was thinking, you know, a couple more assists? I mean, he, you know, he did go on to get an assist, but do you think he was thinking, pad out my stats a little bit, and, and Gareth surely can't ignore me? Yeah, I mean, it's always got to be in the back of his mind because that seems like that weighs very heavily in between the years of Jack Grealish. It seems like he really wants to get that England call up. He doesn't care how he has to do it. If he has to drag Villa, you know, to to stand in the league and, you know, um, just basically going out there and just plying his craft. I mean, it, it's a pleasure to see. It really is. I don't think people are, are, are really understanding at this point how special Jack Grealish has been for Aston Villa this season. Um, and it's not a one-man team thing. I don't, I don't subscribe to that kind of thought. I, I really do think that he's just that fantastic of a player. So I'm sure it's always in the back of his mind, hey, what can I do better? You know, how can I help other guys get, you know, get into the fold with contributing? You know, are there things I could be getting better at? I mean, he, he's still still predominantly young. You know, there, there's a lot that goes into that. And yeah, I can't pretend I know what's going on in the head of Jack Grealish. But for me, I think the, the chances created statistic the most fouled player statistic. He knows what he brings. He knows what his strengths are, and he knows what he needs to work on. So I, I don't know. He he may have just wanted to you know pat, pop in a couple more assists. So Gareth has absolutely no no uh, other choice but to pick him. Now Tottenham's equaliser was a bit of an odd one. You know, corner came into the box and Drinkwater heads the ball away onto the heel of Eric Dyer, which bounces into the air and allows Alderweireld to volley it into the roof of the net on the turn. Do you think this was more luck or brilliance from the Belgian centre-back? I would love to hear your answer first. <laughs> and the only reason I want to hear your answer because I, I have an actual, like, I have a train of thought about this that happened, like, maybe two minutes after this goal was scored. So go ahead. So there's a lot of luck involved in this, you know. Um, drink water heads down and, and it bounces off the, the heel of Eric Dyer. You know, that ball could go anywhere. It could go out, out of the box, it could go out for a, a goal kick, it could go into the hands of Pepe Reina, but it bounces um, directly behind Toby Alderweireld. Alderweireld then turns 
and volleys it into the roof of the net. So there's the, the luck part of it with with the deflected kind of ball from the hill. But the technique from Alderweireld, for especially for a centre back, was exceptional. So I'm a bit of I'm a bit in two minds. You know, it's a bit fifty fifty that you know there was a lot of luck involved in this goal. But the technique from Alderweireld and the skill from Alderweireld, he kind of deserves the goal. Yeah, this may shock a few people. I think he meant this. I think, he, like, you know, even with the deflection and everything that happened, I think that that was just being in, in the right place at the right time. You know, you fashion chances by where you are on the pitch, and I think that he found himself in the right in the right position. I think the ball fell to him just right, like I said, even with the deflection. And I think he knew that he was going to put, you know, he was going to at least get it on target. It may have not been, like, you know, as pretty as it was to hit, you know, the roof of the net and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know, man. I thought it was a really, really nice goal. And I, I wasn't expecting that from, from a center back at, at all. I mean, but hey, well, you know, if you don't, if you don't try, you don't get there. And, you know, he definitely gave it his best shot. And it, 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 I think I thought it was a peach of a goal. I really did. Yeah. And he made amends for his earlier own goal. You know, he scored at both ends. Uh, but it was in the brink at heart of half time that Spurs were awarded a penalty, as Bjorn Engels was adjudged to have felled Steven Bergwijn in the area. And uh, at the time, I thought this was a rather odd decision um, initially. And it, obviously, it was awarded by VAR. I think without VAR being in the Premier League, that that penalty is not given. That's not clear and obvious to me. But VAR deemed it to be a foul and uh Hyung-min Sun steps up and uh it's initially saved by Pepe Reina before Sun pokes the rebound past the Spaniard and into the net. Um I think you know for me Reina was obviously exacerbated by the fact that you know none of his none of his teammates had had kind of um sorry exasperated not exacerbated um by the fact that you know none of his teammates had managed to get to the ball uh, before Son Heung-min. And the only player that was really going to have any chance of doing that was Frederick Gilbert. And if you watch Frederick Gilbert chasing down that ball, he kind of hesitates a little bit because it looks like Pepe Reina is coming to claim the ball. So whether it's a poor communication between between the two players or whether... You know, it's the fact that Gilbert's sandwiched between two Spurs players. I don't know. But at, at face value, you know, Rayner is fuming. But I don't think he has too much of a right to be fuming at Gilbert because it's just a, a lack of communication, in my opinion. Yeah, I wouldn't put this one just solely at, at the feet of Gilbert. I, I think it was just one of those things where, honestly, maybe they didn't even think that Rayner had a chance of stopping this. I don't know. It, it was very tricky thing as, as far as going back to the question do I think it, it was a penalty to Bjorn Ingles I 100% think that this was a penalty I don't think that it, I think he just took uh, he took the player down I uh, to me it, it just seemed really really obvious I don't know even like I get that it has to go to VAR and we've seen some sketchy uh, VAR decisions uh, this season and everything but for me like he just takes the player down right in the box it's almost like he had to make the tackle I'm sure you know the red alerts were going off in his head like hey I've got to, I got to try at the very least to get this ball it didn't work um, it happens it had a terrible time for Villa you know so close to the uh, the halftime whistle and whatnot but I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can actually blame Gilbert. I, um, Pepe Reina has all right to be upset, and I don't think he was necessarily upset just at Gilbert. I think he was just upset because he, he managed to save the penalty, and then no one else was around. It didn't matter if it was Gilbert. It didn't matter if it was Samada. If, if you don't chase, you have to chase back. So I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe them guys got a little bit of uh, penalty training, you know, coming up here in, in the next couple of days to just, you know, 
reverberate the whole thing from Dean Smith that, you know, if you're going to do it as a team, you got to do it as a team. Everyone's got to get switched on. And it definitely seemed like there were more than a few Villa players as this penalty gets taken place that kind of turned off a little bit. But do you think that, you know, without VAR, that that penalty's given? Probably not. The penalty's probably not given. I mean, if, if you take the VAR stuff completely out of it, but, you know, it's a new game now. And, you know, VAR is here to stay, whether people like it or not. And I know that it's a, it's a big talking point right now in the world of football. But they're going to tweak it. They're going to go back and see what works with it. And they're going to try to find out, you know, how they can change it for the better of the football supporters and for the players uh, and the coaches even. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that the VAR drama is anywhere near over. But I do think it stays in the game for the long haul. I don't think they're just going to, you know, press delete on the program and, you know, give, give the room back up or anything like that. I, I think it's here to stay. But uh, in the the absence of VAR that's probably not called a penalty no of course VAR needs tweaks and the tweaks will come you know within time um, but obviously it's, it's a matter of whether Aston Villa are a part of those tweaks or not uh, you know it depends where, where we finish the season uh, and while Spurs went into the dressing room with a 2-1 lead at Villa Park Villa definitely played a lot better than what we've seen at various stages throughout the season and I say that because I think, you know, we've got to look at how well we matched Spurs, especially in the first half. And they are a top six team, um, regardless of, you know, their their injury issues and their almost uh, chaotic, it's like controlled chaos under Mourinho. Um, You know, they're still a strong team. They, They were the the Champions League uh, runners-up last season. So, you know, the, the fact that Villa performed so well, especially in this first half, has to be a kind of um, marking point as to how we need to play for these remaining 12 or so games uh, in the run into the end of the season. No, I, th- I think you're right, and I think a, a large majority of people are thinking that way. I mean, listen, we all wanted to, to draw with, with Spurs, you know, given the chance, or we all, all wanted to, you know, see us, you know, even beat them to gain the three points. But the fact of the matter is that that's an established Premier League team, and it, it's hard for people to come to terms that right now Aston Villa are not an established Premier League team. This is going to take seasons upon seasons of getting back to where they, they want to be and to put an actual, like, foothold into this league. It's, t- it's a tough pill to swallow. No one wants to admit it. No one wants to think about it, but it's the absolute truth. Tottenham Hotspur and teams like them that are in and around them are very, very talented, very good. You know, they, they, they've brought in players for, for massive sums that you know are quality. Villa kind of had to gamble on some of these, this younger talent that maybe was ready to take the next step. It's, it's not a slight on the player. It's not a slight on the transfer policy that I'm talking about. It's just it's going to take some time. So when you're able to, you know, host a team like Tottenham Hotspur it's your home ground and even though even though we lost the game and you know we'll get onto that and, and how all that shook down but I mean you still have to be proud of what we did that that first 45 minutes you have to be like I, I again there's there's people that I saw all over social media saying that might be the best 45 minutes I've seen Villa play in years and it could it could may it may have well been everything was clicking everyone seemed to be pulling in the right direction yeah you had a couple moments that were a, a little you know just trying to figure out, you know, do they need to make that back pass? Do they need to lump it forward in that position? But if you're gonna if you're gonna nitpick at it, you know that that's anyone's prerogative. But for me, I think it was a really really nice 45 minutes of play, and I, I'm hoping to see that more. They got to start coming out the gates a little bit more, just like they did against Spurs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the second half, um, another Belgium redeemed himself. And this time it was Bjorn Engels, who rose the highest at the end of a Jack Grealish corner to head into the bottom corner of the net. 
You know, it was Engel's first Villa goal, and you could see how relieved he was to have, you know, um, made amends for his his, his penalty conceding. Um, you know, he, he 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 roars at the crowd. He points at the sky in kind of thank you uh, to to whoever he was kind of, I guess, thinking towards or or, um, you know. I don't want to say it was his god or whoever because I don't want to presume that he's religious but you know he kind of looks to the sky and he's he's relieved um, and as it stands you know it's two all and it's a result that would have been happily taken by any Villa fan at that point. Yeah, I was so happy for Ingles in this moment because we don't we don't really know what what was going on with him, what what forced him to get dropped out of the squad. It's all very mysterious. Um, and, and you know we don't want to allude to anything on this podcast. We never want to th- you know think we know more than we actually do. Uh, but at the the celebration with him pointing to the sky made me think that maybe he's. Again, I have no factual basis for this. This is just me clutching at straws a little bit. But maybe he's lost someone important in his life over the course of this season, um, and he just needed some time, you know, to get away or think about things or spend some time with his family or things like that. I mean, again, we we talk about it pretty often on this podcast, but you know, you have to take the human element, you know, into consideration when it comes to a lot of the things that we criticize footballers about. Um, so for me, I'm I'm so happy that he, he put on a really good show yesterday, even with with what we're about to talk about happening to him. Um, I, I think that it, it's very important for him to kick on at Aston Villa Football Club, and I think he will do that. I, I just I feel like this was a really big moment for him to kind of – it, it was almost like you could see the weight get lifted off his shoulders a little bit immediately after the goal. And so I, I, I think Ingles is, is a really you know decent center back for Aston Villa at this moment in time, the kind of center back that they're going to need going forward no matter what division they're in. So, I, yeah, nothing, nothing but happiness for Ingles, really. Yeah, of course. Um so Dean Smith replaced Danny Drinkwater with Marvellous Nakamba after the hour mark. And this is a change that is happening quite a lot when Drinkwater is starting games. You know, he seems to be able to amass an hour and then he's he's done. Um, you know, it might have signalled that Smith wanted to shut up shop a little bit, um, and you know, that he was happy to take a point. But Nakamba looked exceptional when he was on the pitch. You know, he he um he poked a clearance uh, back into his own box initially, but after that, he was he was like you know a dog chasing a bone. Really, um, he was running after every ball. He was pressing high at times, and I was I, I do think that Nakamba has the opportunity to grow into a really exceptional Premier League player, but he needs to have the regular game time, and I don't understand why. You know, we've seen Douglas and and Nakamba work so well, so I don't understand necessarily why. Drinkwater is getting so much game time. You know, if he needs the fitness, put him in the under twenty threes. If he needs the fitness, put him on in the last twenty minutes. You know, if if we can get a hold of a game with Nakamba and um, with Nakamba and Douglas Louise, and then you know we've got twenty minutes left and we bring Drinkwater on, I I think that works better than the way that Dean Smith is actually doing it at the moment. Because there are, there aren't necessarily too many negatives about Drinkwater. You know, the fact that he looks a little bit unfit is obviously one of them. But he plays some exceptional one or two touch uh, football at times. And he's always willing to get the game kind of moving. You know, there is there are times where the game kind of stagnates and Drinkwater is happy to kind of be that catalyst where the, the ball will be played to him and he'll spray it across to someone else very quickly. And if he receives it again, he'll look for someone else and play the ball to them. 
And that could work better in the last 20 minutes of a game where Villa, I guess, are flagging a little bit more, more so than the, the first error or so where, you know, the opposition and Villa are at, at their highest energy levels. Yeah, those are all great points about Danny Drinkwater because there's a lot of people talking about him today. I think a lot of people are really upset with him. They don't think he has the stamina. They don't think that he has the match sharpness, the match fitness, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I think it was always going to be a mini project with him coming to the Villa online. Um, I do. I'm. I, I literally share the same opinion as you that I think that Louise and Nakamba should be the starting uh, center backs in the absence of John McGinn. Um, I think McGinn has to play as soon as he's fit. I just hope they don't rush him back. Um, you know, give that as much time as you need. But um, I, I I don't think Drinkwater's anywhere near as bad as what some supporters think he is. I like the fact that he can pass a ball laterally at the right time. It's not just like, you know, north-south passes for no reason. Like he's, he's actually, or sorry, east-west passes for no reason. Like he's actually like, there's reasons for it. Like he's getting himself or his midfield out of trouble, or he's trying to play it to Jack, or he's even turning around and trying to play it off to the right to an Algazi. That Those are things you need. You need that kind of cog that it's almost like they're not that he's a focal point by any means, but he has the ability to get the you know balls out to other more creative players. Danny Drinkwater is exactly you know what you see. He's he's a, a little bit of a footballer, might be losing a little pace as he's getting up there in age and things like that. So, but he has the ability to pick out a pass. That's very very important uh, in football. It, it's a really underrated quality. A lot of people think that every footballer should just be really really adept at passing. That's not how it goes. Uh, so yeah, with Drinkwater, I had pretty much no problem with his play other than the fact that it seems like he's getting dragged off between the 60 and 65th minute so I mean if his stamina is an issue and they're still trying to work on it we haven't really seen any improvement in that department because he seems like he's knackered after 60 minutes yeah absolutely and another substitution um, that I want to kind of talk about a little bit is uh, the one in the 69th minute and we see this one quite often uh, Anwar Algarzi replaced by Trezeguet Um what is your opinion of Trezeguet so far this season? Because for me, I've been disappointed with him. You know, I, I bigged him up a lot uh, before we signed him. You know, he statistically, he was one of the best wingers in Europe. And granted, he was playing in the Turkish league with Kasim Pasa, but he he was able to, to dribble past defenders quite easily. And he had some of the, the highest dribbling metrics amongst, you know, the likes of Lionel Messi and... and other players across Europe's top five leagues. Uh, he has scored some very important goals, such as the one in the Carabao Cup semi-final. But really, Trezeguet has looked less than what I've expected him to. And, you know, people do make comments about Anwar Algarzi and how inconsistent he is. But I would argue that Trezeguet is even more inconsistent. And that at times, he is rather selfish. There was a, there was a bit in this game where he kind of takes a shot where he could play in Douglas Luiz, who's who's charging forward to his right. Uh, and, you know, his teammates are all kind of a bit like, why haven't you played that pass? Um, so I'd, I'd really like to know your opinion on Trezeguet. I think there's a player there, and we can all see, and we all knew when he came to the Villa that there, there's a player there, but I think it's the step up and the playing in the Premier League and... You know, to be honest, some of these some of these fullbacks in the league, they're not going to be fooled by trickery and guile. They're not going to let you dribble on the ball. They're going to be right up in you know right up in, on you. They're going to mark you tight. They're going to go in for a tackle. You know, it may not even be you know it could be even be a hard tackle. And I'm not saying that Trezeguet is a soft person. I don't know him personally or anything like that. But it's almost like you get one of two Trezeguets. You get the one that comes on, runs around like a chicken in a positive way, and then you get the one that comes on and 
tries to run around like a chicken and does absolutely nothing. So I, th- I think that's something he definitely needs to work on to be a bit more impactful when it happens in games. I'm sure he would like to start a lot more, um, but I think that's pretty much Anwar Algazi's now locked down to be you know on the pitch as much as possible. Um, so yeah, I I think you know. For, for most of these players that are coming in, they still have time to develop, and it's still a learning curve, and it's still a process. I mean, I, I know it's toward the end of the season now, and we've talked about this, you know, for a couple months, but it's the truth. Some of these guys are just trying to, you know, get on with what they're doing. There's a development process here, and it doesn't happen overnight. So I think in the in the case of uh, Trezeguet and maybe being a little bit over underwhelming, rather, I, th- I think that he has been underwhelming. I was expecting a lot more from him, and you were actually the one who, who sold me on him, you know, sending me these, you know, statistics, all these kind of things about this is how he likes to play this is what he does great this is what he doesn't do, you know do so well and the things that he was that he was doing great at, um at his former club we're not really seeing that and so you know maybe it's a little bit of, of a you know again it's the step up maybe there's a little bit of maturation process involved but i, I mean i would I, I want to see and i need to see more from him. and he has been a part of some cool moments for villa so far but you just need that little bit of extra to be able to be able to you know stay in the premier league exactly that um, we'll we'll get on to Pepe Reina and his amazing kind of performance against Spurs a bit later, but we do need to note uh, before we get to the end of our, our discussion about Spurs that the Spaniard was absolutely immense in the latter stages of the game. You know, saves against Son Heung-min, Dele Alli and Giovanni Lasalso were not run-of-the-mill saves by any means, and Reina is pretty much proven to, to me and a lot of fans that he's locked into helping Villa survive in the Premier League. Um but we'll, we'll move on to the end of the game, and, and it was a mistake, again, in the dying embers of the game that that ended up losing it for Villa. You know, Bjorn Engels tries to trap the ball with his studs when he could have really just booted it into the Spurs half, and he almost backheels it into the path of Son Heung-min, who races in behind and finishes past Pepe Reina to give Spurs the lead. You know, it's more late heartbreak, it's more tra- tragedy for the villains and their supporters. And, you know, it's, it's gut-wrenching. There's videos going around today on social media of, you know, just how the atmosphere dropped at this point. Uh, in the game, you know, it was literally 10, 20 seconds away from bagging a draw against, you know, a top six side. And this could have gone a long way to help catapult Villa mentally going into a meaningful bottom half clash against Southampton. Yeah, I was, I mean, I, I was gutted. To be honest, I mean, I'm I'm still a little gutted about it today. I made mention on Twitter, you know, I was up at 4 a.m. thinking about this and trying to think about like how how does this happen? And I'm, I'm replaying the goal in my mind, like okay, so Pepe Arena kicks it, and then you know you have Borja Bastone up with uh, Douglas Louise. They're both trying to head up for the same goal. The ball falls awkwardly. It's all of a sudden the other direction. So I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack. It's a very very short pattern of time. I mean, you, you said it yourself, it's about 15 20 seconds. But um, it, it's just like. The worst things, it was like, that, that that can't happen, then that can't happen, then that can't happen, and then you just conceded a goal. And it all happened, like, literally within a 15, 20-second period. Uh, it, it's it's tough on um, Bjorn Ingles. Uh, he, he's had such a crazy up-and-down game. Again, I thought he had a, a pretty decent game by all accounts, but, man, what a crazy, crazy turn of events. I, I don't think anyone could have foreseen that coming. It looked like we were definitely set to, to snatch a, a, a really needed point against a team such as Spurs. Uh, it it would have, and it's so crazy. 
crazy because without without this happening, without you know him not being able to clear the ball away, I mean, we're all in much better spirits and we're, we're really positive going into Southampton. And for some reason, it seems like there's a lot of people today, even myself included, that are a little downtrodden about it, like what could have been. You know, you think back, like we were talking about with the, the Louise effort that gets blocked off the line by Ben Davies, all those sorts of things. So I don't know, man. What, what did you make of all this? It just seemed like I, I was like, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't. Well, you know, I kind of expected it. It was one of the, you know, the the added time uh, losses that that we've almost become used to this season. Um, but I would like to talk a bit more about Engels. You know, it's never fun to watch a player make an individual error that costs their team vital points, and no matter at the end of the table that you're on, um, you know, Engels perhaps did do a little to work his way back into the starting 11 he had a relatively good day at the office bar his mistakes you know eight interceptions five clearances 43 of 51 uh, of his passes were successful and he made a very important goal line block i mean rainer probably had it covered but still he made a very important goal line block um and I would argue that perhaps he is more useful in a back three than Courtney Hawes is. You know, Courtney Hawes is, is very statistically strong as well, but a lot of people have noticed it that he gives the ball away a lot when he's trying to progress the game forward. You know, with Engels uh, and his successful passing uh, passing percentages, you know, I think he has the best uh, pass completion rate amongst the the entire defensive setup at Aston Villa. So, you know, if we placed Engels in the central position with Concert and Mings either side of him, I, I think we might stop shipping goals a little bit more. Yeah, and they they better stop shipping them soon because there's definitely a whole barrel full that they've they've given up this season. Look, I want Bjorn Engels in there. Um, it's not a knock on Courtney Horse or it's not a knock on Ezri Kanta. I think Kanta probably stays in before House does. But the whole thing of it is is that with with Engels and again we have no idea why he was dropped. We, like none of that stuff. But just me, just purely on ability, I think that him and Tyra and Mings. I think there's definitely something there. We saw it in the in the beginning of the season. It kind of floundered off a little bit. But I I would like to see those two players on the pitch together as much as possible and especially since moving back to this you know flat back three with the two wing back system um i i really think the villa look a different team they look a lot more threatening in this system so um you know, again it's always nice to play four three three and you want to go forward and you know play this beautiful football but sometimes that just it, it that doesn't work and it, it didn't and that's why we made the formation change uh, I, I think Ingles is probably in with a shout against Southampton but I think it would be a little harsh to take uh, Courtney Horse out but I mean that comes down to Dean Smith and what he wants to do but for me I think they're they're similar players but I think that Horse has just made a couple uh, questionable decisions over the past couple games now and he, he might he might take a seat this uh, upcoming weekend yeah, I you know I I have nothing against horse. I do think that perhaps he he does have his merits, but at the same time, you know there there are negatives to every player's game. Uh, but there are two players uh, for Villa that I would like to highlight, and the, the first of that is Pepe Reina, who we previously mentioned. You know you can't fault him for his passion or ability on the pitch. You know he he saved the penalty initially. Uh, obviously had the bit of a funny moment with his uh, with his shorts and his his scream, but you know it wasn't humorous to him. It's it's that kind of passion that Villa has missed in years past. You know that's not a knock on Tom Heaton or or any of the other goalkeepers, but you know I think bringing in Rayner was a smart decision by Suso and the team. Oh, massive, massive decision to, to try and get Pepe Reina here, and they did get him through the doors. I, um, 
listen, like they wanted an experience head between the sticks this season at Aston Villa, and they had one with Tom Heaton. He gets injured. He tried to get another one. Um, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a far cry to say that that Reyna is probably better than Tom Heaton, but I think there's levels to that. I think you know Reyna was a world class goalkeeper at one time, and that's not to say that Tom Heaton wasn't good, but he never got to the levels that Reyna was. Even at his age, I think Pepe Reyna has, still has a lot to prove. I think he wants to prove some of his doubters wrong or say that you know some of the people that might think that he's washed up, he can't hack it anymore. He's not the player that he used to be. Um, that kind of passion whenever the, the penalty uh, goes in and uh, you know he's, he's tugging at his shorts and he's screaming. A lot of people are kind of taking the mick with that and saying that, um, you know, oh, that's funny and this and that and there's memes and stuff. I, I, I'm kind of guilty of it too. But if you think about it, man, like when, when was the last time we, we saw a keeper that like, I, I guess like in, intensified by, by something like that? I mean, I, I love seeing that. I, I think that you need that kind of personality. You need that kind of fire. I, his determination's there. I think he's bought all in on Aston Villa. He wants to perform well when he's called upon. And how many saves did we see against Spurs that you're just like, wow, that's unbelievable. I, you know, I haven't seen a, a, a Villa keeper, you know, have to assert himself in that way in, in a while. And again, it's it's no knock on Heaton. I, I, Tom Heaton's been brilliant for us when he played, but bringing in Rain has got to be one of the smarter decisions by Suso this, this season. It has to be. Yeah, and especially during the uh, the January window as well. Um Another January, uh, January arrival was Ali Samata, and you know he's looked like a player keen to prove himself to the Villa faithful. You know it's it's been quite refreshing to have a striker that has, has been a handful for for opposition defences, but he seemed quite well rounded in the fact that he, you know he, he tries to make plays happen. His hold up play is he's always on display. He's playing in you know the likes of Grealish and Al Ghazi on more than a few occasions, and he's got this ability to drive a defensive line back into their own half and back into their own box, which has been lacking this season with the carousel of strikers that Villa have tried to deploy. You know, uh, give give Samata a rating at a ten so far in his in his opening few games. Uh, so far for me, probably about a seven and, and that it's, it may seem low, but I mean, it's, it's the whole thing of, you know, I, I think he's doing really, really well for himself. But again, I think that it, it look, it's always going to be made to look better because we played with some, you know, a striker that wasn't really a striker and then a young 18 going on 19 year old up top, you know, and that was, that was where your, your attacks were coming from there for a couple of weeks. So I, I think that He's go- I think he's probably going to be one of the more impressive acquisitions for Villa, especially coming into the January transfer window. Um, I-, I think that he's definitely got goals in him. He's great in the air. Uh, again, like like you just said, his hold-up play was definitely on display yesterday. That There were times where uh, um, uh, the right-back for Spurs, Aurier, he he didn't really seem to know like if Samad was going to drive forward or just try to pass it off to to Jack. So uh, it, it it created confusion, and and that's that's what you need from a striker. And it's no knock on you know we tried to do a makeshift striker thing with El Ghazi. You know he he gave it his best shot. Vasilev's still young; he's still plying his trade. So when you have a striker in like Samad, it's always going to seem like he's doing better than he is. I think he's great in the air. I I really can't say you know enough nice things about him. I I really do think he's a really talented player, and it, it's going to be a little bit of you know time for him to you know completely settle in but he seems happy out there he's smiling he's giving it his all you know he, he ran his socks off you know it was the only reason why he got substituted in the Spurs game I mean so you know it's it's no secret you work hard for the Aston Villa supporters they're, they're going to be at your back no matter what Another striker that came in in January was Borja Baston, and uh, I wrote an article about him today saying that he needs to kind of show his passion with the limited time that he's been given at Villa, you know, he's got five months left to kind of prove himself in England, um, you know, and, and to get clubs interested in him, you know, he he's a free agent at the end of the season. Uh, and whether that club that is interested in him is Villa or not, is yet to be seen. I think 
his arrival onto the pitch against Spurs was very reminiscent of Codger's arrival uh, against Liverpool. And I think, you know, you can't place the blame entirely on his shoulders for for uh, Spurs and their winner. But, you know, there are questionable decisions and, and a, a lack of, I don't want to say effort, but a lack of guile to try and change the game positively from Borja. And I think he does need to kind of kick on when he's given the opportunity from now on. Or, you know, it's going to have been a wasted time for both him and the club. Yeah, I was. I, I know it wasn't a lot of time that he was on the pitch, but I was expecting a little bit more from him. I, I don't know. Like, I get that, you know, I, I, he's like a, a, a guy that works well in the air and stuff like that. But, like, he could have, at the very least, like, tried to press the back line of Spurs as they were playing out from the back or whenever they tried to shuffle play and it would come back to a center back or a fullback. And he's kind of just, like, standing there just looking back and forth, left and right and left and right. Like, no, man, go get him. Like, you just saw what Samad did all game and he's, he's causing problems. Like, go get him. You don't have to be the paciest striker to put pressure on a back line and force them into mistakes or force them into a quick decision that they, they weren't, you know, thinking that they'd have to make so quickly. You, you know, you just, you're putting pressure on a player as a striker and he just seemed like he didn't want to do that again we talked about the whole thing with you know for the uh the individual error from Ingles you know if Borja Bastion backs off and lets Douglas Louise handle that ball maybe that 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 never happens you know and it's easy to say that hindsight's always 2020 but just a very again a very strange pattern of play um I'm expecting to see more from Borja Bastion I don't think that his tail at Aston Villa is done quite yet I think he's probably going to get game time as Keenan Davis uh recovers from yet another injury so we shall see I think the verdict's still out on him I I hope that he has a little bit more to contribute I'd like to see a little bit more determination and drive out of him yeah, absolutely. Um, the next game for Villa is Southampton. Um, really, they're all massive games from here on out for the Villains. Uh, the Saints are currently 12th on the table, but they aren't too far away from Villa as far as points go. There's a six-point gap between Southampton on 31 points in 12th and Villa on 25 points in 17th. Uh, the Saints have have won one of their last five matches and have lost three consecutively to Burnley, Spurs and Liverpool. And, you know, Danny Ings is still impressing for Southampton with 15 goals this season, um, and you know they've got a strong attack. You know they're they're eighth in the Premier League for shots on target per match, but they're conceding an average of 1.8 goals a game. By comparison, Villa are conceding an average of 1.9 goals per game. So you know it's going to be a pretty open match, and we could potentially have a goal fest on our hands with two very poor defenses, really. Yeah, I, I, for me, like the more I dig into the stats of Southampton, the more I look at how Villa is. I think that this is like one of those games where you could possibly have a two-two-three-three kind of game. Um, you know, we all know that that Ings is able to pretty much, you know, he he's he's making Southampton look a lot better than they are and it's no knock on Southampton their supporters anything like that I don't mean it in a disrespectful way but he's playing very well and you know when you, when you have a striker that has you know double figure goals and it is towards the end of the season now they're they're not even comfortable right now they're like like you said there's not a massive massive gap from, from where Southampton are to where Villa are so this is an important game for them just like it's an important game for us but man I'm really hoping that Villa can find a way to pull it out even if it's a goal fest hey you know concede the goals you know if if if, you, if you're scoring them, Villa have to find a way not to have to, you know, score three goals a game to to be in it. Uh, I think everybody identifies that by now. But I mean, if they're if they're going to start to really, uh, you know, make a make a serious serious push to start amassing points, it's got to start at Southampton. I can't agree with that anymore. Um, now, before we close this podcast, um, I know that we'd like to share some some kind words of farewell to our friends over at the Villa View, and I'm going to leave this up to you, Mark. 
Yeah, man. Um, for the past couple of years now, uh, Villa View has been massive for me being a supporter in the States. You know, when I, when I really first started getting into their, uh, their content, the podcast, the match previews, all that kind of stuff, uh, I, I was just blown away by how uh, just great these guys were. They did a really, really good job for fan content as far as Aston Villa goes. They're all moving on to beautiful things. Uh, they're all, you know, starting to get jobs or, or gaining jobs within the, in the football industry. Uh, I couldn't be more proud for them. I, I've, I've messaged the guys individually for years and years now. I talk with them on a semi semi decent basis. Um, you know, without the Villa View, you know, for me at least, um, it, it, they kind of made me feel like my opinion on Aston Villa was valid, and they gave me that validity to have the uh, confidence to write and actually like speak on a podcast of thinking like, oh, well, these guys are you know kind of doing it. Why, why can't I do it? So like, it, a massive, massive shout out to all everybody at the Villa View, even the guys behind the scenes, the video guys that do fan cams, the whole nine yards. You're super, super appreciated over there. It's going to be a big loss for the content community when it comes to the Villa View. But again, uh, we're we're all just so proud of you guys for what you're moving on to do. Um, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my little little spot, man. I love them guys. They, they, they've done a lot for me without even really having to do much anything. Yep, of course, and we wish them the best of luck in everything that they go on to do. And of course, they'll still be available to speak to and uh, gain opinion from on Twitter and on other social media platforms. Um, finally, before we do close uh, the podcast, uh, just an update on on the volume two of our magazine. If you have already pre-ordered this, uh, you know it's coming along well. Um, we're set that it's probably going to come out towards the end of the season, just because then content is you know available to 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 continue being written until you know the the end of the season. I don't want to write something and then have to change it. Um, because what I've written hasn't come true or, you know, something has changed towards the end of the season. Uh, but if you would like to order a magazine and you haven't already, you can go to underagaslitlamp.com and go to the store uh, header at the top of our page and you can buy it there for £4.50. And each uh, each purchase, 50p of which will go to Project B6, who do such a great job at making Villa Park look pretty and improving the atmosphere on a match day. Uh, if you have enjoyed our podcast, please give us a review or a comment or anything you f- you feel like. You know, kind comments on social media always go very far between me and Mark. Um, follow us on Twitter at Villa Lamp, uh, on Facebook under a gaslit lamp, on Instagram at under a gaslit lamp, and you can keep up to date with all the latest Villa opinion news and more at underagaslitlamp.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and up the villa.